Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up and let's get started on today's podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast. I'm proud to announce this podcast is brought to you today by my favorite olive oil brand, Cobram Estate. Cobram Estate is Australia's leading producer of extra virgin olive oil. Today on our podcast, we have a special guest, Savina. Savina Rago is an accredited practicing dietitian from Perth in Western Australia, and she's known online as a savvy dietitian. Since graduating as a dietitian in 2013, Savina's worked across various sectors, including hospitals and aged care facilities, where she delivers nutrition education workshops and works one-on-one with her clients. She has a special interest in chronic disease management, specifically type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, PCOS, and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. She also has a personal interest in the low FODMAP diet, having IBS herself. In today's podcast, Savina and I chat all about health halos and what her infographics on Instagram really mean, such as compare the pair, food processing, portion distortion, and health food aisle fails. We then chat about misleading marketing from low fat, no added sugar, high protein, baked not fried, made with real fruit and gluten free, and what these really mean. Finally, we discuss nutrition label reading and the health star rating system here in Australia. Follow Savina on her Instagram and Facebook at The Savvy Dietitian. And let's jump into today's podcast all about marketing, food labels, and health halo claims. Welcome, Savina, to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today, busting some nutrition myths for us um, with knowledge and awareness as well. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Leanne. I'm so excited to be here. Now, first, I'd love to chat and tell our listeners a little bit more about your journey to becoming a dietitian. So why did you choose this career pathway and why did you choose the specialty that you have around diabetes and weight management and even just how your Instagram came about as well? So definitely my um, journey to dietetics was a bit different to what most people say so most people will say Mm -hmm. you know I was really interested in health but for me it was more my love for food and my love for chemistry so Mm -hmm. when I was in high school I actually I was planning to be a chemical engineer wow (laughs) and I had the opportunity to do some work experience in that area and I found out that wasn't actually what I wanted to do it wasn't um you know I wasn't around people it was just very um testing I guess, testing products, testing chemicals. And I wanted to talk to people and be around people. Yeah. So at least I had that opportunity to, you know, work out that it wasn't really what I wanted to do. So I was a bit lost because all of my subjects, I guess, rotated around engineering. So I did physics and chemistry and maths. I didn't do human biology because I had absolutely no intention of doing health science. <laughs> yeah. So um, I remember going to um, Curtin's open day and coming across the nutrition stand in the public health building. And um, I was amazed to see that I could use my love for chemistry with food. And so I went, I went home and I researched the different pathways and I knew that if I was to do nutrition, I would definitely want to do, to do dietetics because I wanted to work with people who had chronic conditions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, talking about food, but also talking about disease. Yeah. And so 
that's really how I got into dietetics. It wasn't really my interest in health, but my interest in food and chemistry that actually brought me to that pathway. And I think a message that I really like spreading is the fact that diets aren't all about dieting. Mm -hmm. So there's this common misconception that all dietitians do is talk about dieting. Like we talk about dieting, we don't. We talk about diets for disease. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where I, you know, I fit into in terms of the diabetes because it's not just about dieting, it's about blood glucose management. It's about the actual disease and how food plays an integral role in diabetes management. Mm. Couldn't agree more. And I love that your career started, I, I, I guess, based around chemistry because that's the furthest thing. Like when I think about my career, I'm like chemistry was nearly my undoing. Like for me in university, yeah. I was like, oh, man, I barely passed the chemistry subjects, whereas I, you know, smashed all the other ones yeah. around like anatomy and nutrition and that sort of thing. So it's whereas funny. I was completely opposite. <laughs> you know, human biology was my nightmare. Mm. I remember, you know, having to learn each system every week yeah. and just thinking <laughs> this is a minefield. And I remember when we were picking our subjects for year 12 or I guess year 11, I was like, I'm, I'll never do human biology because I'm not a memorizing person. This is not for me. Yeah. And then I had to do it. (laughs) It's funny, isn't it? When you think, yeah, people think, you know, oh, dietitians, nutritionists, all they do is study food, but it's like, it's so much more than that. And understanding how food works and understanding how the body works in the different systems and that sort of thing. Like it's so fascinating. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, what we actually do a lot of is chemistry. So biochem. Yeah. Yeah. It's really chemistry focused. And I think that's, that's why I picked it basically. Yeah. And that's why I really enjoy it. And I like, it's not that we speak to people about chemistry, but we can use our understanding of chemistry to, I guess, provide the information in layman's terms. Love it. And I actually, that's one of my favorite things that you do is take the science and translate it into just really simple, easy to understand messages. Yeah. And that's what people, people want. I mean, I wanted that when I was a student myself. So I wanted the lecturer to take something really complicated and make me understand it in an easy way. Yeah. And, and I feel like people learn better that way. And then we can grow on that ourselves. We don't need to learn it really complicated. We can start from the basics and then build up. Definitely. Yeah. So talk our listeners through what a day in your shoes looks like. So what do you do in terms of your clients? Um, And then how does your Instagram fit into this as well? Because um, we would introduce your Instagram at the start of this podcast, but um, and your listeners will go and and have a follow there. And you've got quite a substantial following on Instagram, which is incredible um, for a dietitian. So well done. Um, But how do you sort of fit in your Instagram work and your content creation as part of your everyday life? So I do, I work full-time. I work for a, a not-for-profit organization now. I used to work in, um, oh, I, I guess I did a split um, split um, week. I worked in a hospital and worked for this not-for-profit organization. My, um, my Instagram creations really do happen after hours. So after work, yeah. um, I also work on the weekend. So I work for um, um, Diabetes WA uh, delivering their Desmond education program once a month on a Saturday. So I really only have Sundays and after hours, you know, during the week to create my Instagram content. So I definitely don't have days put aside. Like I know a lot of people do that, but I'm, I guess I'm, I work pretty efficiently. If I have an idea, I can come up with something pretty quickly. And I guess most of my content does come from clients' questions. So I often encourage my clients to bring in products. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in review appointments, to bring in the products that they're using. And I guess over the years, 
I've just gotten used to knowing what questions to ask people. Like, you mm-hmm. know, so we only have a certain amount of time um, in a consult, but I can streamline the questions I ask by just the, I guess, the answers people give me. So um, it's just about, um, I guess, I, I utilise the information or the questions that my patients will ask during consults. So I'll get very common things, you know, so say, oh, um, I thought sweet potato is really healthy for you because mm. I'll spend a lot of my day talking about carbohydrates, carbohydrate yep. counting for insulin, mm-hmm. things like that. And mm-hmm. when I talk about carbs, I always emphasise that sweet potato is a carbohydrate as well. Mm. And the most common question is, oh, but isn't that meant to be healthy? Mm. And so that's an example for post-idea. So you could easily do, you know, compare the pair with sweet potato and potato to show people that, hey, they're actually very similar. Sure, the nutrients might be different, but in Mm. the way you're thinking about it, they're actually the same. And I feel that when people see these visual representations of the foods together, they actually understand it better and they actually yeah. trust it because the information's in front of them. So if I yeah. was just to say, yeah, no, um, they're, they're exactly the same, why would they believe me? They need to actually see it for themselves. Yeah, yeah, and see the numbers side by side and that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, see the numbers. And I know some people, you know, don't like that, but we live in a world where we compare everything. Mm. We compare a makeup. We compare I don't know, we compare shoes, we compare everything. So we like comparing things. So why can't mm. people compare food? Mm. And it's not to say things are good and bad or you can never eat them, but it's no. just having that knowledge and that understanding behind it is so powerful, isn't it? Exactly. And I often say that in my posts. So none of my posts are about pick this over that. It's about, hey, this is what it is. Pick which one, whichever one you actually prefer, but understand the difference and understand how they compare with each other. Mm, love it. So a lot of your post ideas actually come from questions that your clients ask you. Yeah, but basically yeah. most of the time. And, you know, even things I just see on the news. Yeah, okay. Because I feel like the media has a big role to play with what people believe. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, just think about that Um the egg recommendation last year, there was a study about how eggs can cause cardiovascular disease and the media just ran with it. Mm. And the study was terrible, but they don't tell you that. They don't tell people that. So it's about the media really has a big role to play with what people believe, I mean, in terms of nutrition. So even the media is a really good um, avenue for compare the pair posts. Mm, and even marketing labels, which we're going to get yeah. into very soon, which I'm very excited about as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even as you were mentioning things like, you know, people are like, oh, sweet potatoes better. I'll choose that. And one of my favorite things is just around that misconception of foods. Like clients always say to me, oh, I don't eat carbs. I'm like, oh, okay. Why is that? Because like, carbs are fattening. I'm like, wait, so you're saying that carbs have fat in them? And I'm like, you like, mm-hmm. you just don't even have that basic understanding at a macronutrient no. level, which is they just they have heard from the media that carbohydrates, you know, if you want to lose weight, you should reduce carbohydrates, but they just have no understanding around that. Or they're lumping in processed foods as carbohydrates as well. Exactly. They're thinking that carbs are carbs no matter what. So um, I'm really excited to to do some nutrition myth busting with you today. Yeah, I'm, I, lo- I love nutrition myth busting. <laughs> I just love – I love – you know, just saying it to people and seeing their face sort of light up and they're just, wow, I can't believe that. And and they're like, are you sure? You're like, yes. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) Or when you say, you know, like I've done a post where you compare like potato chips with a potato and you show people, hey, they're not the same. Yeah. And they, and it's not that they're silly. 
they just haven't thought about it. Yeah. And so when you make people think about things, then they're more likely to think about other things. And I think that's where I guess the Desmond education that I do on a Saturday, it comes into this. I don't tell people what to do, but I make them think about what they are doing. Mm. And I ask them questions to get them thinking so that they come up with the own answers to what actually works for them, if that makes sense. Definitely. And people respond better to that because if you're just telling people, do this, do this, do this, but if you're providing them with a question and they have to answer it, they're more likely to take it in. Yeah. And just for our listeners at home um, who are probably curious about the Desmond program. Now that's a program specific for diabetes patients. It's type one as well, isn't it? No, it's just type two. So it's um, diabetes education and self-management. There is a type one specific program called Daphne. Daphne. That's yeah. The D's, the D's got me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. um, So Desmond is run throughout Australia and it's a UK based program. So it's run in the UK as well. Wonderful. All right. Well, I'd love to get into some of the infographics and the different categories that you have around your Instagram. So you do a lot in terms of comparing the pair, portion to sourcing, naughty or nice. And I just love the headings that you have around these. So I'd love to um, talk about our listeners at home and tell our listeners where you come up with the inspiration behind these categories and what sort of the intent is around each category. So let's start with the compare the pair category. So as you mentioned, you'll take two different foods. It might be potato or sweet potato and you'll compare them, or it might be, you know, bread or a wrap and you'll compare them. So yep. I guess how does that help our listeners at home um, or what's your, I guess, inspiration behind um, this sort of messaging around comparing different foods? Yeah, so I guess it's always important to remember that I'm always compare like for like. So I'll mm. never compare like avocado with a cookie because they're not comparable <laughs> yeah. at yeah. all. Or a strawberry with a potato. Yeah, they're not comparable. So it's always taking – it's usually taking – a product that people think is better mm-hmm. and comparing it with the alternative that they think isn't because that's what people do. That's what people yeah. are looking for, aren't they? They're looking yeah. for a better product. Everyone's always looking for the healthiest um, chip product. They're always looking for the healthiest ice cream. They're looking for the healthiest, I don't know, carbohydrate. They're looking for anything that's healthy. Yeah, which is wonderful that we're, we're taking an interest in our health, isn't it? Exactly. So it's about taking these products and actually comparing them side by side and actually looking to see whether they are Mm -hmm. as good as they claim to be. Sometimes they might be, most of the times they're not. And I think it's just that comparison. People need to see things side to side to actually see how they compare. So I did one um, on, um, you know, chocolate chips. Mm -hmm. And I took um, a very well-known brand with a brand that was pretending, I guess, trying to be healthier. Mm -hmm. And when you compare the numbers and you look at the ingredients, you actually work out that they're not actually chocolate chips by definition. Mm-hmm. So they're not chocolate. And, and you know, brands will use different terms to make sure that their product is legal, Yeah. Um, you know, to with the food standard codes. But it's misleading and people need to see how they compare because you're not serving yourself better by choosing the alternative product that you think is healthier mm. when it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah that comparison and I people love people love comparisons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We compare everything, not just food. Yeah, and I actually love how you put um, the numbers in the dollars in some of your comparison yeah. posts as well. Because if it's going to cost you, you know, a dollar per kilo for the 
standard option or $20 a kilo for the slightly, slightly better option. Is it worth that if you're going to get, you know, a 2% health benefit, but pay 20 times the price for it? So I think that's an important part of, and I love how you again, compare that as well. And I think for people, I always like them to actually think about what they're trying to get out of a product. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there was like a popcorn that was high in protein. Now popcorn's not designed to be a high protein product. (laughs) So I always ask people, why are you looking for a high protein popcorn when you can actually just, you know, go to protein based foods for that protein. Mm-hmm. So it's just putting that thinking behind people's food choices. Why are you doing that? Make them actually mm. think about it. Mm, because they've been conditioned to believe by the media that high, well, as we know, high protein is better, but it doesn't, yeah. if you're going to eat a food with a carbohydrate in it, own that carbohydrate and choose your protein from another yeah. source. It, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's counterproductive, really, isn't mm. it? Now, the next one that you you do that I really love as well is um, you do a food processing one. So I've seen you compare like a corn on a cob to a, to- a corn tortilla to like corn chips, for example. Yeah. And just to show that processing and the energy density or the amount of calories is so much more, the more processed the food. And again, I think that's something that we forget about that, you know, corn or potato as a whole carbohydrate really isn't that bad for us. In fact, it's quite healthy for us. It can contribute to gut health. Whereas when you're ultra processing that food and you're turning it into like potato chips and that sort of thing, it comes a long way, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's, and you know, the portion that you can consume is so different for both options. So it's actually just showing people the more pro ultra processed a food is, the smaller, mm-hmm. the, the smaller amount you can actually achieve. Mm-hmm. And the more ultra processed a food is, the more calorie dense it often is in a very very small portion and we know Mm. people like large portions and there's nothing wrong with that but it's about making sure that you choose foods that will serve you best in a larger volume exactly because you're going to feel fuller yeah a whole corn cob could be decent snack but you wouldn't be really full having you know those um what are they those little corn chips basically things that are deep fried Mm. because you can eat the whole bag without thinking twice and like the calories from an entire corn of cob would be maybe like seven corn chips or something and which is going to provide you exactly. more fuller yeah, yeah for longer and then if you and then you know if you compare the pair which one would keep you fuller mm-hmm. the whole corn cob or the small handful of corn chips mm-hmm. and and people will be able to tell and people will respond yeah the whole corn cob wow I can have that as a, you know, like as a snack. I've never thought about that, but I wouldn't think twice about having the corn chips as a snack. Yeah, so funny, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Now you do another one which I love, which is um, portion distortion, and you do the serving yes. size versus portion size, which again is so powerful because when was the last time, if you're listening at home, you picked up a, a food and actually looked at what the recommended serving size was? Like if you buy a bar of chocolate, are you going to eat, you know, that bar of chocolate is 2.3 serving sizes, are you really going to break that down or are you just going to eat the whole chocolate bar? Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? And so, yeah, but I love portion distortion because so basically portion distortion refers to the growing portion sizes that we see now mm-hmm. and that we think are basically, they're normal. So we don't think twice about consuming them. Yeah. But if you actually look back at the trend, so if you go back 20 years and you compare like a muffin that we can buy now from a shop with a muffin 20 years ago, it's Crazy. very different. It's huge, yeah. It's hu- There's a huge difference. And I think... A huge problem in our, in our society is portion distortion. 100%. And, and it is a reason for why people are gaining weight. Mm-hmm. Putting aside things like, you know, moving less and overeating, they're overeating without knowing. 
Because they're getting served ridiculous sized portions and thinking yeah. that that's normal. Yeah. So I remember doing a um, post, portion distortion post, comparing a muffin, which was almost 40% of, say, an average adult's daily needs, which is about mm. 2,000 calories. Okay. And that average adult is meant to be exercising, say, 30 to 45 minutes a day. Now, most people I see don't do that. Mm-hmm. So if a muffin is providing you with almost 40% of your daily energy needs, I mean, that is huge. Mm-hmm. That is huge. So it's basically showing people be aware of what you're actually purchasing. Be aware of how many portions actually are in a single portion food. Um, and actually understanding what a serving size is. So, you know, so in terms of a serving versus portion, so a portion is the amount of food a person chooses to eat, mm-hmm. whereas a serving is a standardised amount of food. And it may be quantified, so like a serve according to the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating or a quantity set by a food manufacturer, which is variable brand from brand. So if we took different um, muesli brand products and lined them up according to their servings, mm-hmm. There would be a huge difference brand to brand. Yeah. People don't don't realize that. And so I often hear comments about how the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating is really um, high in serves. I often mm. hear that. Oh, it's really high in carbohydrates. Yeah. Mm, it's actually really not. It's actually quite moderate in carbohydrates. And I what one of the things I often get my patients to do is to actually serve up what they have and related back to what a serving is in the um, in the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating. And they're often pretty shocked mm-hmm. with how much they are actually eating. Yeah. And that serving might not be appropriate for them, for their needs, but it's a good visual representation mm-hmm. and it's a good, I guess, baseline. I always say the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating is a good baseline. We can either go up or we can go down, but it's a good way to see what is actually recommended for this so-called average person that we you know we always refer to who I I would say the guidelines probably need to be um changed Mm -hmm. because they don't really they don't serve us best now that average person is no longer average Mm -hmm. definitely with more than I think it's over 60 percent of Australians being overweight or obese yeah or technically classified based on BMI and you know and in terms of movement the average we're not moving so the guidelines are for a person that does move most days. So it's not just, you know, four times a week mm-hmm. or it's most days, preferably all days. Um, that's what it says in the guidelines and people aren't doing that. So, I mean, even I'm guilty of not doing it. So I acknowledge that, hey, I probably can't eat as many servings as someone who is active. Mm-hmm. And it's it's that acknowledging that rather than being in den- denial about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think portions are a huge issue, aren't they? For many Australians. A huge issue. I mean, and it, it comes down to food manufacturers. So we see, you know, things like two and 2.8 servings per packet. Yeah, in a tiny packet of potato chips. Like, you yeah. know, no one's going to split that up. <laughs> yeah. What, is, what does that mean? Yeah. And so I'll often say to people, well, realistically, how much would you have? Then actually the go and thing. look at the label and see what that provides you with. Yeah. And they're often shocked. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that just, it comes down to people being actually real with themselves. Be real with your portions. Like, you know, be honest with yourself. How much would you eat? The mm-hmm. only person you're lying to is yourself, really. Yeah. So acknowledge where you are. And if you need to change, you can. You don't have to go down to what the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating recommends mm. the next day. Mm. 
you might just slowly reduce your portions Mm -hmm. and then add something else in to supplement that. So if we're removing something, we try and add something else in so we feel full. Definitely. And it's about working out what those things are Mm. for the individual. So that bag of potato chips or that muffin that you love is supposed to serve 2.8, you know, serving sizes and you're having that nearly every day. You might choose to just have that once or twice a week. And then the other days you might just have a fruit or a yogurt or something like that instead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because all foods can fit. You know, we know that if we stop eating things or we say, oh, we can't eat that, we end up binging on those foods. So there's no point doing something if you can't do it forever. And I always Mm -hmm. say this to my patients. So they'll say, oh, I've cut out bread. And I'm like, awesome. So are you going to do that forever? And they look (laughs) at me like, what a stupid question. Like, am I going (laughs) to do this forever? Of course I'm not. So then I'll say, well, then why are you wasting your time doing it now? Yeah, because the minute you start eating it again, you're probably just going to regain the weight back that you've lost. Yeah, so it's about being honest with yourself, being honest with your lifestyle and making changes that you can actually stick to. So changing your habits, and we see this, you know, I mean, I also work in um, bariatric surgery. People can have that surgery, but if you don't change your habits. 100%, you'll regain the weight back. Yeah, and we see that time and time Time again. So it's about taking even one thing, working on that change, mastering that change, and then maybe moving on and picking something else to change. But it's Mm. that habit. 100%. Yeah, we've talked about that extensively on the podcast as well, but it's so important to bring up again. And then the last one I wanted to ask you in terms of those categories that you do with your infographics um, is the health food aisle fail. And I love that because people automatically think that, oh, it's in the health food aisle, it's got to be good for me. Um, so I love how you compare different things. Like I think I remember you doing um, chocolate-covered blueberries or something, which were in the health food aisle, which were an exorbitant price, like I think 5 or $6 for a bag of them, compared to just blueberries and a little bit of chocolate or something. Yeah, and I mean everyone thinks the health food aisle is, you know, the aisle to go down. It really probably should be um, relabeled as the allergy aisle. Um, yeah, exactly. If you've got allergies, it's a great aisle, but bar yeah, that, yeah. It's a great aisle healthy. to go down, but it's not the health food aisle. by any stretch of the imagination and yeah often people will go down I mean I love going down the health food aisle because that is a great um (laughs) great area for posts just a quick (laughs) inspiration yeah quick um stroll down the health food aisle for some post inspiration but yeah it's so um it's so misleading um there there was a there's the berry products with the yogurt coating um that I often compare to say um Smarties or lint covered chocolate and things like that because they are literally the same. Mm-hmm. The ingredients aren't better, the nutrition information isn't better. You can compare the pair and work that out. Yeah. So, again, if people actually compare things, compare what you think is better with what you would um, ideally want to eat because mm-hmm. that's what people are doing mm-hmm. and make, a, yeah. make an informed decision. Nothing yeah. wrong with picking things from the health food aisle, but don't pick them because you think they are serving you better. Pick them because you want to, because mm-hmm. you enjoy it, not because you think it's healthier for you. 100%, yeah. Because for, I think a big thing is health means something different to every single person. Mm-hmm. There is no set, you know, this is healthy because it means something different to different people. And we know that working in dietetics, mm-hmm. healthy means something different to everyone. And, you know, I see Instagram as almost like a public health platform Mm. for most people. You know, um, you wouldn't be talking about really complex medical conditions via Instagram because it it doesn't, um, 
it's not going to, comp- you know, the, the whole population won't relate to that. Mm. Sort of like your um, two fruit, five veg sort of campaign. I sort of see Instagram as that, talking to people about health messages that you can, you know. General advice for the general public. Yeah, to a large population group. Yeah. So we wouldn't be talking to people about low-fibre diets, but we do recommend low-fibre diets and dietetics yeah. for certain yeah. medical conditions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People's minds would probably explode if we said that. <laughs> Um, yeah, we did a post on that, but we we do it, don't we? Yeah. So yeah. it's about understanding health means something different to, or healthy means something different to different people. Mm, I love that, and you term a lot of these claims as, um, I guess, health halos, yes. where people perceive them as being healthier because they are in the health food aisle, or because they've got low fat, or they've got, um, you know, gluten free on their label. So that's some of the marketing trends that I would love to break down with you right now, yeah. um, in terms of things like low fat, no sugar, made with real fruit, and what these actually mean. Because again, I think people will go down the juice aisle and they'll see no added sugar and forget that juice in itself like fruit has sugar in it just because you're not adding sugar into it doesn't mean it's sugar free or just because you're buying potato chips that have got gluten free on the front of it doesn't make it a better choice because technically potato chips most of them are gluten free anyway so I'd love to break down some of those health halo claims so people can actually start making informed decisions and looking at the ingredients in food not just based on what the front of the label is telling people because people get so sucked in by it don't they they're busy they're time poor and they just grab what whatever looks good or grab whatever's at eye level and companies pay an exorbitant price to put their foods at eye level and to make the front of their packaging and those marketing messages speak to you, don't they? Exactly. And I think that's a really good point. People pay for where their product actually sits in the supermarket. A lot of money. So people don't realize that. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you actually shop on the bottom, that's, that's where, where some of the best the products are. Decent products are. Yeah. So 100%. people need to understand that food companies, the bigger food companies, they will pay for the spot and it's super Mm -hmm. important to actually understand that because people don't actually they don't understand that yeah um but in terms of like you know i guess navigating these health halos it's to understand that you need to think about the food that you are consuming so Mm -hmm. okay let's use fruit juice as an example what is fruit juice it is fruit now it's fruit with its fiber removed we eat fruit for fiber and of course we eat fruit for things like micronutrients as well Mm -hmm. but if we're removing the fiber for some from something and we're just leaving basically the sugar and we refer to the sugar in fruit juice as free sugar Mm -hmm. what benefit is that serving us for say say for people in the general population nothing really it's very comparable to something like coke now, people would then say, but fruit juice is really natural for us. Yeah, that, it is natural, but it doesn't make it a good option to consume regularly. Mm-hmm. I think for me, especially working in diabetes, fruit juice is my biggest pet peeve. Yeah, yeah, I never um, drink it either. <laughs> I just, we have a full ban of fruit juice in my house and it's probably the only food I'm like, no, it's a waste of money. We're not having it. Mm-hmm. Every other food I have no problem with, but fruit juice is just not necessary for the everyday person. Mm. All for fruit juice in a cocktail, but not in your fridge for <laughs> an everyday use. Yeah, and because real fruit has so many benefits. Exactly. So if you have, if you're removing something and then putting it in a bottle, what you're not getting that fiber. So what is the point? Mm. I mean, in terms of diabetes management, I always explain to my patients that we use it 
as a treatment for hypoglycemia management, which is a medical emergency. We don't want people's blood sugars to be low Mm -hmm. um, in diabetes. So what that means for our listeners at home is that we're using um, fruit juice to rapidly raise the blood sugar level of a client who may have you know, a hypo, which is too, far too low blood sugar. So that, yeah. that sugar from the fruit juice is going straight into your bloodstream, which if you're having a hypo is wonderful. But if you're a lay person who's trying to manage their weight, not so great. You're getting this massive yeah. rush of sugar into your body. And people think because it's fruit, it's automatically healthy. Yeah. And so it's so when you get people thinking about these things, so especially my clients so with type 2 diabetes who are, say they've swapped from Coke to fruit juice and they're using the fruit juice, I compare the pair and they say that they're actually identical. The same amount of sugar. Yeah, same amount of sugar. And they know that the fruit juice is natural, but their body doesn't really care whether it's natural or not. It only, your body processes things as sugar is sugar. protein. Yeah. Your protein, carbs, fat, and what it breaks down into. So it doesn't care whether the fruit, the sugar is coming from or the carbs are coming from Coke or fruit juice. It just cares about what it is. Mm-hmm. So when you explain that to someone, they're more likely to think, oh, okay, well, someone's actually using it as a medical treatment for, uh, you know, hypoglycemia. Why am I having it again? Maybe I actually don't need it. Maybe I'll have the piece of fruit. And I'll talk to people. I'll say, how many pieces of fruit yeah. go into making an orange have you ever made one yourself and pe- often people have made yeah. freshly squeezed orange yeah. juice themselves and they'll say yeah like four and then I'll say well or more yeah four or more and I uh, then I'll, I'll again ask them a question I'll say and what would make you feel fuller would four oranges make you feel fuller or would a glass of fruit juice make you feel fuller and they will say four oranges I wouldn't be able to consume four oranges so they're answering the question themselves mm-hmm and so, again, it just makes people think about things mm-hmm. a bit more and then they are making the decision from themselves without me saying, don't drink fruit juice. I never mm-hmm. say that. Yeah. I yeah. give them questions to answer and they answer the questions and they know what the right thing is to do for them. Well, they make that decision themselves. They go, exactly. okay, well, maybe fruit juice isn't the best for me rather than you telling yeah. them not to do something. Exactly. And, you know, and another really popular product at the moment is no sugar biscuits. Mm. And in terms of, um, you know, in a, in a diabetes setting especially, biscuits are made out of flour. Flour breaks down into sugar because all carbohydrates break down into sugar. So whilst the product might be sugar-free and when they say sugar-free or no sugar, they mean no white sugar. Mm. They don't mean no... No carbohydrate. Yeah, they don't mean no carbohydrate in general. And often they are, they're adding in sugar alcohols and a very co- common sugar alcohol is maltitol. Mm-hmm. And it, it counts towards your carbohydrates. Mm. So it's acknowledging that as well. And you see, people won't know that. I don't think a few dietitians actually messaged me and said they didn't know that. It's because it's not the space that they're working in, whereas I'm working in that space every day. So it's just about providing that knowledge. And I think that's quite handy about Instagram as well, is you learn off your peers. Mm. You learn off other dietitians. you you know, you know, people will say, oh, I went to this really terrible dietitian. And it's like, no, no. And I always will stand up for the dietitian. I'll say dietetics is a huge profession. Massive, yeah. So someone could come to see me for, say, food allergies. They'd say the same thing about me. Mm. So it's about acknowledging that it's not that the dietitian wasn't good. It's, it's just wasn't their specialty areas, which is why dietetics, we should refer on, basically, mm-hmm. if we can't serve the person best but it's about understanding that it is a huge area I don't know things in dietetics that you would know and you wouldn't know things that I would know so it's about I love learning from people as well yeah 
Couldn't agree more. And so that's another positive about Instagram. But, yeah, so it's about looking at the products. When you look at something, think about what you're actually meant to get from it and then make a decision from there. So Mm. it is complex. I mean, food labeling, label reading, food marketing, it is a really, really complicated um, thing. Yeah. Which is why I think, which is why people are struggling in the area. Sorry to interrupt this podcast, but I wanted to thank our generous sponsors, my favorite olive oil brand, Cobram Estate. Cobram Estate is Australia's leading producer of extra virgin olive oil. Picked at peak ripeness and gently crushed within four to six hours, the finest Cobram Estate olives yield the freshest, tastiest extra virgin olive oil, and it's all done right here in Australia. Associate Professor Dr. Mary Flynn states that published research shows that no other foods, including other oils, come close to extra virgin olive oil for the prevention and treatment of chronic diseases. I'm proud to partner with Cobram Estate to bust some serious myths and share the facts around oils. 95% of the time, the only oil I use is extra virgin olive oil, and the other 5%, it's another type of oil, but purely for the taste, as I absolutely cannot go past the research and health benefits of extra virgin olive oil, which contain a unique range of plant compounds and antioxidants, including polyphenols, squalene, and alpha tocopherols. On average, healthy adults should be aiming for two to three tablespoons or 45 mils of extra virgin olive oil per day as part of a healthy, balanced and Mediterranean style diet. For more information about why I love and recommend Cobram Estate extra virgin olive oil for all of its health benefits, please visit their website at cobramestate.com.au or their Instagram page at Cobram Estate. Now let's get straight back to our podcast. So let's break down a few more of these health halos for our listeners yeah. at home. Let's go with the no sugar and no added sugar because this is one of my favorite things to see on packaging where particularly if you're buying a product that's like high in fat or something like that or it's got no sugar or no added sugar, what does that actually mean for our consumers at home? Does it automatically make it a healthy option? Yeah, so I saw a product that was labeled no sugar and it was pork crackle. <laughs> Have you seen those? So they're marketed as being, you know, Containing no sugar, of course. And then you think about what pork crackle is. <laughs> Fat and protein. <laughs> it isn't ever going to contain sugar. Yeah. But so legally, it's right. It contains no sugar. Does that mean it's going to serve you best? Or it's a healthy product? Or it's a healthy product? Mm, probably not. But it's about thinking about what you're trying to get out of it. So often yeah. people will try and replace, say, I don't know, chips with pork crackle because pork crackle is low in carbohydrate, of course, because it's not. A carbohydrate so it's about yeah again comparing the pair see what you actually get from it compare the two side by side and see which one will serve you best in the right portion I guess mm-hmm. um, and go from there but another way they use the no sugar is I mean that's a big one at the moment isn't it well the no added sugar is a big one as well like just because it contains no added sugar doesn't mean that it doesn't have actually have sugar in it and again you see it a lot on fruit juice like it's got fruit juice with no added sugar and all they're talking about is the white sugar isn't it yeah whereas the actual fruit has sugar in it yeah sucrose they just didn't add any refined sugar into it and people think and that's a big trend on instagram as well it's like refined sugar-free recipe and it's like because it doesn't have white cane sugar in it but you're using maple syrup or you're using honey or you're using 50 dates blended up that's still sugar isn't it like that's a big one the no added sugar one is a huge one i see people fall for no added sugar i think refined sugar-free if i see refined sugar-free i just just roll my eyes I just write off the person. I'm like, nope, you're not serving anyone well. <laughs> just like, no. Nope. Because it's, yeah, it's, it's, especially for me in the area that I work in, 
it causes heaps of issues for people. So they're seeing no refined sugar, so they assume the product is lower in sugar, meaning that it won't affect them, their blood glucose levels, and they'll eat more because the minute you tell someone that something's good for you, they eat more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's really important for people to understand that no refined sugar just means no white sugar. That's all it means. We see no added sugar on um, rice milk syrup. If you turn turn the packet around or the bottle around, it's all sugar. 100% (laughs) sugar yeah and let's while we're here on this sugar let's bust the myths for people at home like honey sugar rice malt syrup what are some of the other ones um brown sugar coconut sugar brown sugar coconut sugar they're all just sugar like the body treats it as sugar and some people might say oh it's a bit more natural i get a few more vitamins or minerals from it that's okay but under no illusion should you think that this is a better sugar option or sugar free or you know i've had clients who are like oh i used to have three spoons of sugar in my coffee and i put three spoons of honey instead I'm like, yeah. that's the same thing. Yeah, and the body sees the, the, the pancreas, which is what um, works around, you know, the sugar in your bloodstream. It doesn't discriminate. So your body doesn't care whether the sugar comes from honey or whether the sugar comes from I – like, I like using carbohydrate over sugar, so it doesn't care whether it comes from honey or rice malt or agave. It reads it the same. The mm. body will read it the same. So – whilst it might provide micro amounts of nutrients. Marginal as well. Yeah. We don't consume added sugar for nutrients. We consume foods from our whole food groups for nutrients. And I think it's really important for people to realize that we eat, you know, you know, unprocessed foods for nutrients, not um, ultra processed foods. And sugar is ultra processed in every single form. And understanding that it's okay to have it, but don't go and eat, you know, three times as many brownies because you made your brownies with organic argive syrup instead of white cane sugar. It's not a healthier option. Yeah, and I think that is the problem we're having now is because people are constantly looking for these healthy brownies. Like brownies aren't meant to be a health food. Exactly. It's not yeah. a piece of fruit. It's yeah. not a, you know, Handful it's of not nuts. Yeah. a handful of nuts. It's it's not a yogurt, like a natural yogurt. It's not that. So have the healthy brownie, but have it in the same same way a brownie is intended to be eaten in, mm. as a treat, mm. as a soul food, you know. Like I think that's the biggest issue because, yeah, people are replacing and we, there's so many products at the moment. Yeah, healthy donuts, healthy brownies, vegan, sugar-free ice cream. It's like just choose the ice cream that you love, have a small amount, enjoy the heck out of it and move on yeah. rather than paying four times the price for your whatever health halo claim ice cream. Yeah, and I'm all for like the diversity in products now because it gives, you know, say if you're following a vegan lifestyle, you have that opportunity mm. to go out and buy an ice cream. But for the average, for someone that isn't following a vegan lifestyle, they still feel like because it's plant-based that they're making this healthier option. It's No, it's not an actual plant. <laughs> it was made in a factory. <laughs> it's highly processed. Yeah, so someone who is following a, le- a vegan-style lifestyle would still consume that ice cream the same way as someone consuming an ice cream that's been on the shelf for 30 years. It's not better for An ice cream you. and ice cream. Yeah, ice cream is ice cream. And I think the more we see that and we just put that in our head that a brownie is a brownie, no matter whether it has sweet potato in it, or whether it has collagen powder in it or whatever it has in it, it's still 
a brownie. And I'm, you know, I'm the first one to try and make recipes healthier. I'll often add, you know, sweet potato to my brownies or blend up some dates and that's all well and good, but I'm under no illusion that it's massively healthy. I'll still just have a very small portion of that like I would a normal brownie. I don't then go and eat four times as much because I've made it using healthier ingredients or different ingredients. Exactly. And, you know, as dietitians, we love experimenting with food and I love making foods healthier, but it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it a a piece of fruit. (laughs) Or calorie free or anything like that. I think a lot of people are, oh, well, this is way better. Yeah. Assume is better. And I think people really need to get that, that idea out of their heads so that they can actually embrace all foods and treat them the way they're meant to be treated. And low fat's another big one as well. And I'll often see like a bag of lollies being like low fat. And again, people, I'm like, Uh, it's all sugar. There's no room for fat. So of course it doesn't have any fat in it because a bag of lollies is all sugar. So that's another one where, you know, low fat can be helpful if that's your goal um, or if that, you know, you're eating quite a high fat diet or you've got problems, you know, with your heart or something like that. But again, it doesn't automatically make it a healthier option. You've got to think about the food in the context that the no flat claim has been added on, you know. And that's where it comes down to actually thinking thinking about what the food is meant to have in it. So a lolly will never have large amounts of fat in it. It's not designed to be like that. A chocolate would, yes, Mm, but a lolly wouldn't. So it's it's understanding what a food has in it. So when we think about lollies, we know lollies are basically carbohydrates, sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, So even like, you know, if you think about – I did uh, like low-fat ice creams as an example. Mm -hmm. For one person, it might be a great option because it is lower in calories. But for, say, another person, say with a health condition, it might not serve them the best mm-hmm. because the, the um, I guess, the macronutrient distribution might not be as good for them. So, again, healthy isn't… One size fits all. Yeah. One size does not fit all. So, it's, I think it, de- it de- definitely comes down to working with someone, like so working with, you know, an accredited practicing dietitian or working with a university qualified nutritionist to make these decisions. Mm-hmm. And going along with that low fat one, um, often you'll see baked, not fried. And, you know, people will pick up crackers and potato chips and it's like baked, not fried must be a better option. It's like, have you even seen one of my favorite ones you did was those um, edamame um, sort of chips. Um, And people think, oh, they're green. Oh, my God, they must be healthy. They have, you know, as much fat and calories in them as what actual potato chips do. So eat the food you love just in a small portion and enjoy it. Just because it's baked and not fried, they're still using the exact same amount of fat. Like I think people forget that they bake food with fat and oil as well. Yeah, and and so that's where it comes down to actually looking at the ingredients list and making an informed decision about the product. So, um, I I mean, we'll talk about this more later, but – it's about being aware about what you are actually consuming. So like those chi- those uh, pea chips that you're talking about, you know, mm. they're promoted as being a great source of protein and fiber. Mm. It's like let's think about what the food actually is. It's highly processed peas ground up with, if you look at the ingredients list, with rice flour formed into a pea, like a pea pod. Now that is – very, very easy to eat without feeling full. Mm. And we know that in for in order for a snack to be, we, we feel, if something is filling, we feel satisfied. Mm-hmm. So I would, I'll normally ask a patient, how much did you eat? Oh, the whole bag. Yeah, because it's so easy to consume. Have a look at how much energy you just consume. Oh, there's 5.6 servings in that small bag that you just yeah. ate 5.6 servings of it. 
Yeah. So again, it's coming down to actually looking at these things and making an informed decision as to what they're actually like. Do chips really provide you with protein? Compare that serving of chips to a Greek yogurt. To yeah, something like Greek yogurt or even um, an egg or something that actually is a source of protein, and then work mm. out which one would keep you feeling fuller, and go from there. Maybe you love the pea chips, so have them over a packet of chips no problem but don't have them because you think they are serving you better because they're not and that's the same with the high protein everyone's so protein obsessed and we know that protein as a macronutrient it's very important for weight loss um, particularly the even distribution of it throughout the day but yeah. just because you know your muesli bar says high protein on it doesn't mean it's necessarily you know i've seen oats marketed as high protein and i'm like well the time you add you know a bit of protein powder milk chia seeds to your oats they can be high protein as well so it's exactly. like choose yeah what product is going to benefit if you're 100 going to eat a muesli bar you'd probably be better off finding one that was slightly higher in protein and higher than fiber. But if your choice was a muesli bar or an apple and a Greek yogurt, well, the Greek yogurt and the apple is going to serve you better because it's not as it's not as processed. So I think that, yeah, the protein, high protein on, on food labels is a big one that sucks people in, isn't it? Yeah. And it's about people actually eating both options and seeing which one makes them feel better. Yeah. Fuller, which satisfied. Which one keeps you fuller. Mm. And I often ask people that, okay, so you had both options, which one made you feel fuller? Mm. Did you snack quite cl- closely after eating that? option and people will be able to tell you and then because they haven't thought about it Mm. but the minute you get them thinking about it they're like oh yeah I didn't really feel that full after that high protein bowl of cereal whereas I felt really full if I had you know a two egg omelet with veggies and a piece of toast yeah and then they can you know by making that decision or understanding their food choices they're better able to serve themselves yeah and not getting sucked in by like high protein chocolate, high protein nuts. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, eat chocolate for chocolate. It doesn't need to be high protein. Like if that you're getting protein out of chocolate, your diet's in serious trouble. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is people need to realize that we can easily meet our protein requirements without things like these chocolate bars. High protein popcorn, yeah, high protein popcorn, chocolate, things like that. high yeah. protein crackers. And some people need things like protein powders, which are ultra processed, but they need because they can't actually you know, they train a lot. So it's about understanding that as well. But mm. process, ultra-processed discretionary foods aren't meant to provide you with macronutrients. It's just not. They're not designed like that. Yeah, exactly. Eat chocolate for chocolate. If you, if you really do need protein, have a protein shake yeah. in one square of chocolate rather than yeah. an entire high-protein chocolate bar, which is going to have only maybe a couple of extra grams. Yeah, and then if you actually compared it with, say, a big meal, you look at it and you think, wow. That's like having like a meal. Yeah, a chocolate bar equals a meal. And people are often blown away by that. And by all means, like if you love a chocolate bar with protein, go for it. Yeah. No one is saying not to, but don't have it because you think it's better for you. And again, that goes with the same gluten-free claim, isn't it? And we must preface this with some people, absolutely, with diagnosed celiac disease need gluten-free. Some people are sensitive to wheat and gluten. Okay. But again, don't choose a brownie because it's gluten-free. Don't choose a bag of potato chips because it's gluten-free because you think it's going to be healthier for you. Because again, that's an allergy claim or that's something that some people need. Yeah. It's a medical, it's like a medical thing. And I think, you know, for for people, it's it's actually about understanding what gluten is. So people don't realize gluten is a protein. Mm. I often tell them that it is a protein. Not a carb. Yeah. Not a carbohydrate. <laughs> and often gluten-free products are higher in things like fat mm. because 
you just can't replicate the same elasticity that gluten provides products. So they bump it up with fat and sugar because they need to. Mm. They literally need to in terms of a food science sort of perspective. Mm -hmm. So it's about actually understanding what gluten does. Yeah. So gluten provides that elasticity to, um, say, muffins or bread. It helps it rise like and, and texture and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So, yes, some people cannot consume gluten because it's a, a medical issue. Mm. Like it's, you know. Mm. Um, but for the average person living without these medical issues, gluten is not going to be harmful for them. At all. And I think where a lot of people go wrong, because I used to run, um, do the celiac clinics in, in the gastroenterology clinics when I was at the hospital, and I'd see a lot of the newly diagnosed celiac, and they would just be like, oh, my God, I'm spending so much money buying all these gluten-free products. And I'm like, why? Like when you look at your whole foods, the majority of whole foods are gluten-free, like mm -hmm. your fruits, your veggies, your proteins, your nuts, your seeds, everything like that. And it's like, why are you buying these ultra-processed gluten-free biscuits and gluten-free muesli bars and gluten-free cereals and all that yeah. sort of thing when the majority of them aren't needed in your diet? So if you need to follow a gluten-free diet for medical purposes, if you're spending a lot of money on these ultra-processed foods, you're eating far too many ultra-processed foods. You need to exactly. scale back your diet and eat more real whole foods because exactly. they're naturally gluten-free and you don't pay any extra money for them. And think about how people lived before, yeah. 20 yeah. years ago. But see, like I said, they didn't have these choices. And I guess that's the benefit, though, now for people who are living with celiac diseases, that they do have choice. But unfortunately, it is that mixed those mixed messages about gluten-free products yeah. um, from the media as well mm -hmm. that are making people think that gluten-free means better for you. I mean, in terms of a diabetes perspective, people actually think gluten-free means less carbohydrate. Mm. And I always tell people gluten-free actually often is higher in carbohydrate mm -hmm. and it's often higher GI. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just about that, again, it's that nutrition knowledge starting from the basics and actually understanding what something is. And these are things that can easily be clarified in consults and it gives people that empowerment to make better decisions. Yeah. You're not just telling them don't eat gluten-free. You're giving them information around, you know, what gluten is, how it's acting, and then they themselves then can make informed decisions. So it's about empowering people with knowledge. Mm. And I think that's the biggest thing with nutrition. It's about it's about education. Exactly. We're not telling people to eat this, don't eat this, eat that, don't eat that. It's about empowering them through understanding because that's what we've spent five years doing, right? Yeah. Six years or some. degrees, yeah. 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 And just, we, we know the, the, you know the chemistry behind food. Um, we know, you know, all the macronutrient structures and the, you know, the carbs, the, the cycles that everything go through in terms of fat metabolism and, you know, there's so many, uh, gluconeogenesis, all these like big words we can throw out mm -hmm. there. But people just need to know the basics yeah. and we can just take it down to the basics for people. Yeah, and exactly. And how many times, and again, I've seen you comparing, you know, like a gluten-free, refined, sugar-free, dairy-free brownie with sweet potato in it compared to just an actual normal, regular brownie. And often the raw vegan brownie, you know, whatever dairy-free has got 
a ton more calories in it than just the normal brownie. And people are under the illusion that because it's healthier, they'll eat more of it. So it's sort of like, if you don't need these foods that need to be gluten-free, just choose the regular version and eat a small amount. And that's the thing. A lot of people will lose weight following a gluten-free diet if they're eating a healthy whole food diet. And a lot of celiacs do lose weight to begin with because their gut is so inflamed, their body can't absorb things. And so I've had a lot of people say to me, oh, but my friend is gluten-free. She lost like 10 kilos. It's like, because she was very medically unwell until she cut out and her gut became less inflamed and she started to absorb some of the foods again. And then she followed a healthy whole food gluten-free diet. Therefore, she was losing weight. And so people just naturally think, oh, if I eat gluten-free, I'll lose weight. Um, so again, it's just something the media is kind of thrown around. A lot of celebrities are going gluten-free saying that, you know, wheat is inflammatory and we know that that's absolutely not true. But if you eat a diet that's full of processed foods, yes, that's going to be inflammatory. And yes, you know, gluten from that perspective is not going to be good for you, but it's not really the gluten or the wheat. It's really the amount of processed foods that you're consuming. Yeah. And, you know, people will say, well, you know, compare the sweet potato brownie with a regular brownie, the sweet potato brownie ingredients are better for you. Yeah, it's got more vitamins. It's more yeah. natural. Yeah, yeah, but let's take it back to basics. You don't eat brownies for health. Yeah, exactly. If you're eating a brownie to get your your iron or to get your to get your nutrients yeah. from, you're in big trouble. Yeah, exactly. So it's always taking it back to what you're having the food for. It's not a vegetable on your plate. Yeah, it's still going to be a brownie. It's still it's still a brownie. <laughs> and so, and I think that's a really important. Um, thing to talk to people about so when people do say oh but my friend lost this or my friend did that it's about actually educating them about what's happening in the body mm-hmm. because people don't understand and they're not meant to understand they they didn't study this but it's that you can provide them with the information so that they can understand a little bit about what's going on mm-hmm. and often people anyone that starts a diet will lose weight because they change their eating habits the first thing that goes is ultra processed foods mm-hmm. So, of course, you decrease your overall calorie intake. Mm. It's not the diet. It's not that the diet is superior for you. It's not that it's magical. You've just changed the way you were eating. People are more – so when someone goes on, say, a diet, they they make better choices, don't they, mm. because they're on a diet. So they will – automatically reduce the alcohol intake, reduce alcohol in general. Yeah, they'll start going to the gym, start exercising, eat a bit more fruit and veggies. Exactly. So it's not the diet, it's the behaviours and the habits that they're trying to promote doing the diet. And I think if people – and that's where um, comparisons become very important as well. It's because when you compare the two sides, um, and I have a comparison coming up soon – you actually say, wow, it's actually, it's not the diet. It's um, just those overall decisions we're making through the day. 100%. Yeah. And now last health halo I'd love to go through is the made with real fruit, because I think this is a big one and parents get so sucked in by thinking, oh, I'm going to buy my kid a muesli bar made with real fruit. You know, that's, I'm looking after my kid's health. It's much more natural. It's much more, especially if it's like organic made with real fruit. Like it's such a health halo. Like people perceive it as healthy, but it's like a muesli bar is a muesli bar. Like if you're not making it with real fruit, what other type of fruit can you put in there? Yeah. Like, and if you're going to want real fruit, you want more nutrients, give your kid a piece of fruit not an ultra processed muesli bar exactly and then again it goes back to looking at the ingredients list i the ingredients list is probably my favorite place to look over anything over the numbers because the numbers get complicated so if a muesli bar is made of real fruit then it should be 99 percent real fruit often it's five percent strawberry exactly and and often it's fruit flavored so it's about that those marketing terms as well because they can't really use they can't say real fruit if it doesn't have 
the real fruit, it'll say like strawberry flavored. Yeah. But if it is made with real fruit, it doesn't mean that the product has large amount of that said fruit. Yeah. So yeah. my favorite is, um, you know, those um, biscuits with the like the apple and um, apple and sultana filling. Yeah. 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 So it might have, you know, eight percent sultanas or eight percent whatever, but it has. 100% of or 92% biscuit. <laughs> yeah, 92%, you know, it's like 80% wheat and then or it's probably not even, but it's like the same sugar is the second ingredient. Yeah, so yeah. what's the point? Yeah. And what was that company that got they got um massively sued? It was a kids uh sort of fruit roll up or something product and they they got sued for saying that all their products are made with real fruit. I think it had 1 to 2% real fruit in it. Yeah. Um what brand was that? Do you remember? They've had to change. They've had to. I can't remember the they had brand. They changed their marketing. Yeah, they that had was, to change their marketing to flavored. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So, be, yeah. So the ingredients list is. I guess the the big um, thing we're trying to encourage our listeners at home is to don't even worry about what is marketed on the front of the label. Don't even go there. Turn it straight over and look at the ingredient panel because actually another funny one that jumps to mind is I remember listening to um, a business story about the lady who created Carmen's Kitchen, which is a wonderful brand. I like the Carmen's muesli bars, but again, I eat them because it's a muesli bar I eat it for quick energy after I might have a gym session or something and I remember she was saying that um one of their blueberry flavored muesli bars could not sell they changed the label they did not do anything to the product even to the the coloring and the marketing all they did was instead of blueberry bars they put superfood blueberry bars on the front that they are their best selling muesli bars in the entire range because they put superfood on the front of it yeah. No ingredient change, no nothing, did absolutely nothing but added the word superfood and they were flying off the shelves because consumers just get sucked into these health halos thinking that they're automatically healthier. If something is a superfood, it's got to be better for me. Yeah, exactly. No, it's still a highly sugar, highly processed muesli bar just because it says it's superfood doesn't make it better. Yeah, I mean, you can we can do that for like beauty products as well. Like I, yeah, I'm exactly. totally sucked into something that claims to be superfood shampoo. And, yeah, like <laughs> will remove all the wrinkles from your face and you're like yes I'll get that but you haven't actually gone and looked at the ingredients in the back so the same thing you know you can use the same um, analogy look at the ingredients see what you're getting like you're paying x amount of dollars for this but then when you go and compare the two they're actually exactly the same Mm. so you know power you have you have the power to uh, to control your health basically and to make decisions in the end of the day it is up to you Mm -hmm. it's about being aware and people say oh but you know it's so time consuming look online you can google these things now so you can literally google anything you want you can go on to you can email the company so I have found quite a few errors in people's ingredients list so you look at something and you think gosh that doesn't really read right so how is it you know I came across a coconut yogurt product um, a couple of weeks ago and the ingredients list did not match up with the nutrition information panel Mm -hmm. so I actually emailed them and I said um I'm not really sure but it just doesn't sound like there is x amount of this in your product and they said oh no sorry we yeah we need to actually edit that (laughs) so sometimes things are wrong and it's about not just assuming that the product's always right. It's about making those informed decisions, look at things, compare things. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously as dietitians, we we can do that a bit easier. So it's about, you know, putting that forward. So if I ever see anything that's not, I do not believe is correct, I will always contact the company mm-hmm. because we can. 
Mm-hmm. And they can either say, yes, it's correct, or no, it's not. And they often will look at it and say, oh, it's actually not. Oops, made an error. No one picked up Yeah, on and they will change it. And I agree. Like looking at nutrition labels is is very time consuming. But I think that, you know, once you do it once, you've got that knowledge. Like, I go into the shop and I'm like, this is the type of music bar I want. This is the cereal that I want. This is the X product that I want, you know, versus having to do that every single time you go in there. Like once you've done it, you, you have your healthy options. Exactly. But again, if you're spending hours and hours and hours in the shop comparing food labels, guess what? Bottom line, you're eating too many processed foods because you're not going to exactly. pick up two different apples and have to compare the nutrition labels. You know, you, you're no. not like, so you're not eating enough fresh fruit, veggies, seeds, nuts, whole grains, that sort of thing. If you're constantly comparing the amount of processed foods and particularly for your children as well, if you're listening, you got kids at home and you're constantly picking up boxes of crackers and bars and you know, that sort of thing, you're, you're feeding your children too many highly processed foods. And that's at the end of the day, anything in a packet with a nutrition label that has more than what, probably five ingredients in it is probably an ultra processed food. Exactly. I would say so. I mean, definitely that's a big tip that I give. If you're spending that much time reading labels, you're picking too many um, ultra processed foods. And as simple as that, I always have people saying that everyone is looking for this, like this ultimate product that comes in this package you never yeah. find it yeah. no product no yeah. matter how good it is mm-hmm. is going to meet all your needs yeah and sure there are much better options particularly you know in today's day and age i think there are a lot better options on the market protein bars muesli bars that sort of thing but at the end of the day that's all it is and don't be fooled into doing that and i know i have so many clients being like oh you know i know you recommend fruit and nuts and yogurt and veggie sticks and dip but i get bored of that and it's like okay that's totally fine but it doesn't mean that you then go and swap all of that for a muesli bar every day and a high protein ball every day you just got to have that nice mix of you know maybe one snack a day is a whole food option like a fruit or a handful of nuts or a Greek yogurt and the other snack might be something that's a little bit more processed but not having those processed options every day or multiple times a day just trying to find that balance because yeah food can get boring sometimes if we're eating the same and, and the thing with nutrition though it is about consistency isn't mm. it 100%. consistency is key mm-hmm. so whether it you pick one thing to be consistent in and that's what you uh, work on that's great mm-hmm as long as you can be consistent with it. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's people get um, results yeah. that way. 100%. Now, I'd love to chat to you quickly about nutrition labels because people get so confused. And I have clients say to me, well, I, you know, compare two products. And let's start by saying that you must always compare two similar products. There's no point comparing a muesli bar to a frozen pizza or a tin of Milo to a cup of green tea. You've got to compare similar products. But people get so confused because they're like, well, this one's higher in calories, but this one's higher in carbs, but this one's got more fiber, but this one's better in protein, but this one has more fat. Which one do I choose? I'm so confused. Mm-hmm. So let's break down yeah. nutrition labels a little bit for our listeners at home. I would like to, I guess, just start by a brief, what do you recommend for your clients? And then what would you recommend the macronutrient components to focus on if someone's goal was weight loss versus if someone's goal was weight gain? Yeah. So basically first, it's about actually thinking what what is the product meant to serve you? Like how is it serving you? Is it a snack? Is it a meal? So say, for example, if you were to pick up, say, a yogurt, Mm-hmm. you would be using that most likely as a snack. Now, if a snack, usually for most people, a snack should be about, it should be less than 200 calories, I would say, per serving. The The key thing to look at is how many servings are actually in the product, number one. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you might want to compare it with your 
compare them. So then you have to look at the per 100 gram column. Now, there's a great resource on the Eat for Health website about um, what, I guess, the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating uses for comparisons. Mm -hmm. But it's about thinking about why you're using the product. So are you looking for a yogurt that is high in protein? Or are you just looking for a yogurt and then you're going to add protein, another source of protein to it? Don't always Mm -hmm. need to pick a high-protein yogurt, but people feel more for picking a high-protein yogurt. So often I, for per serve, for a snack, I would say 5 to 10 grams of protein per serve um, for a snack. Um, that that that's what I normally find works really well for people and less than 200 calories and and see how it actually makes you feel and then you can compare the things so you know like take a so it's a, this is not a, like as a snack so if you took a packet of chips that you were say having every single day and you said I really want to make a healthier snack swap I'm going to have say you know yogurt have a look at how they compare and the portion difference between the two. That's mm. what people don't often um, acknowledge. There is, there might be the same calories, but the actual portion is different. So another good one is bliss balls. Love a good bliss ball. I actually often use bliss balls for weight gain in most people. Mm-hmm. So I actually work very so, energy dense. Yeah. So I actually work a lot with elderly, um, the elderly population as well. So very malnourished. And bliss balls are fantastic for weight gain. Yeah, a lot of calories, small volumes. Yeah, a lot of calories. Not small great for volume, weight loss. <laughs> not that great for weight loss. But if you feel full and satisfied eating a small bliss ball over, say, a yogurt with a small serving of popcorn and a piece of fruit, by all means, go for it. But if <laughs> yeah. you feel hungry after a little bliss ball and you want to eat another, it's probably not going to work well for you in terms of weight loss. Weight gain, go for it, have another one. Um, and so I often get people to say, lay the things out. So if you're making, say, bliss balls, think about what goes into a bliss ball. Lay the ingredients out and compare them. Would you sit down and eat all of those ingredients in one go or does that look like a lot? But once you blend it all up, it's like a nice little convenient um, energy-dense little snack for you. Think about it. And the funny thing is they should be called, they were previously termed energy balls and the marketing have turned them into bliss balls. And it's a fancy trendy thing that all the models on Instagram are eating these bliss balls, forgetting that um, a lot of models don't um, really eat much entirely anyway. And a lot of Instagrammers are promoting these bliss balls, but we don't actually know if they're actually eating them as well. And it's like the the term or what they should be called is these energy balls because they're, yeah. they're, they're full and- of energy, but they've sort of termed the marketing term around and called them bliss balls. So people are thinking, that they're healthy now or protein balls yeah and what what people need to realize is they don't know what people are doing behind the scenes they don't know whether they're they're seeing a um, dietitian they don't know whether how much exercise they're doing you have no idea what people are doing you can't just look at their diet and say I'm going to follow that because that person looks good I'm going to eat what she eats yeah yeah you have no idea what they're doing you don't even know what their day job in you know yeah, that could be a professional athlete who eats three bliss balls yeah. in a go and that's awesome for them because their energy requirements are so high. Exactly. I remember even just swapping jobs, like working in a hospital work as versus working in like a, a one-to-one client setting. The energy the I, mm-hmm. you know. Expend. Uh, yeah. was the, the difference is huge. So it's actually even like acknowledging that when um, I swap jobs. So 
taking all of these things into, we can't just look at the, it's like that iceberg effect, right? We don't know what's under the surface. We have no idea. So you have to remember that. Yeah. So I think the most important thing to remember is look at the ingredient label. You want as less ingredients as possible. And remembering that the ingredients that are contain the most within that food will always be listed first. So if sugar is in the top three ingredients, good bet that sugar is a large part of that food. And then actually comparing the the nutrient panel as well and thinking, what do I want to get out of this? If my goal is, um, you know, I have a bit of tummy problems. My goal is to increase my fiber intake because I'm quite constipated. I'm really going to really look at the overall fiber content of this food. Because the minute you start to compare every macronutrient, if you're going to go compare the calories and the carbs and the protein, the fat and the fiber, you'll go crazy because each product will be slightly different. You'll never find one that's a gold star compared to something else. Exactly. And always remembering that when we're comparing foods, we're comparing like for like, or what I like to say, apples for apples, not apples to pears. So you always use the per hundred gram to compare things. And then you use the serving size column as a, as a good representation in terms of how much you could eat or how much energy you're going to get from that one serving size. Exactly. And I think it's about actually understanding how many serves you're going to get from it. So like, you know, um, uh, muesli is a really, really, really popular breakfast option. Mm. And I always, to get an idea of how much people consume, I'll ask them how many servings they get from a um, box of muesli without tell, without going any further about label reading. And they'll say, oh, I probably like six. And I'll say, do you know how many servings you're meant to get from it according to the company? And I've never even thought about it. So for most, it's about 11 to 15. Mm. Most people go through a box a week. And so when you say that to people, you're they're, firstly, they're in shock. And then secondly, they think, well, I can't eat such a small volume of food. And it's like, well, if you can't eat such a small volume of food, then maybe that option doesn't serve you best. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's actually about um, making that decision for yourself as well thinking about how the product actually serves you and remembering that, you know, the serving size, it is manipulated by the food manufacturer. So cereal is tiny. The serving is unimaginably small. I often refer it to as like bird food, like (laughs) because no one would feel full eating that. So if you don't feel full eating muesli, well then in the serve that it's designed to be eaten in, then look at what you could probably have instead or, Maybe have it every second day as a starting change, um, but yeah, it's it, it is very complicated label um, label reading, and you know it changes for snacks, it changes for main meals, it changes person to person. Yeah, but I think that probably the biggest thing to focus on for most people is people get so obsessed about macronutrients, we're so obsessed with protein, we're obsessed with not having any carbs, but we forget that at the end of the day, calories are king. So you will never lose weight if you're not in an overall energy deficit. So really, if marketing and label reading is confusing the heck out of you, just start with looking at the overall energy density or the Mm. calories in your product. Because if you're eating something that's high protein, high fiber, great, but it's got double the calories of something that's a bit lower protein, lower fiber, probably not going to serve you best at the end of the day. Exactly. And then, yeah. And then depending on what your goals are, if you're somebody who's just had a massive heart attack and your goal is to lower the amount of saturated fat in your diet, I'd be looking at the energy and the saturated fat column. If I'm somebody who's um, got really sluggish bowels, I'd be looking at the energy, perhaps the protein if my goal was weight loss and the fiber column. If I'm someone who's trying to manage my diabetes, I'd be looking at the energy and the carbohydrate column. So it's really exactly. about thinking like, what are my goals here and what am I using this food for? And thinking about what the food is. So thinking about yes, where those yes. sake, sake carbohydrates actually come from 
and what yeah, yeah. like whole foods or food to my food group that actually serve that need. So I always say to people, uh, a muesli bar doesn't actually fit into the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating food groups, mm-hmm, exactly. if that makes sense. It's a processed food. It's a combination of all those sorts of food groups. Yes. So it's that acknowledging yeah. that as well. Um, but no, label reading is definitely, it, it's something that people probably need help with every time they see someone. Mm. So every consult. So just going through products because you always find new products as well. So there's there's always a new product on the shelf because that's how food ma- uh, manufacturers make money. 100%. And just not even looking at the front of it, just ignoring the front of the packaging, Ignore all the that front. marketing, turn it straight over, look at the ingredient list, look at how many serves you're going to get out of that product and then thinking, okay, if this chocolate bar is supposed to be, you know, 2.6 serves or this muesli bar or this bliss ball has, you know, I love those, Um, I think they're like Tom and Luke balls or something, but like, you know, the serving sizes in that, if like you might be getting a little pack of five bliss balls and you've got 2.6 servings in those bliss balls, are you really going to eat like one point? I'm terrible at math, like one point whatever of those yeah, bliss balls and feel full. It's like, no, you're going to probably eat all five of those tiny little bliss balls in that packet. So you either have to own that and adjust for it in other areas of your snacking or perhaps pick another food that's actually going to provide you with the feeling of fullness. Exactly. And so it's about, yeah, making that decision for yourself, comparing things, seeing how what you are using that snack to replace. Like what mm. are you trying to replace and actually compare what you're trying to replace. Mm. But as you said, calories are king and I think that can upset people but I'm sorry that is the truth and that's science as well it's yeah, how our bodies science work. exactly the macronutrients that make up the calories are very very important. important so like as I said I would never compare avocado with a cookie whilst the calories might be the same the macronutrient distribution is very different the way mm-hmm. you would feel is very different the way the body metabolizes it might be very different but it doesn't mm-hmm. change the fact that a health halo cookie is the same as a cookie yeah 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 and also and I think people as well don't pay enough attention to the serving size you know people oh my god I'm looking for a high protein snack choice this muesli bar is high protein or whatever but it's like this the serving size is so powerful and a lot of times you might see a chocolate bar or a bag of chips or something and it's like 100 calories and then in the tiniest little fine print it's like per serve or it's like 100 only 100 calories and it's like per serve then you turn that packet over and there's like five serves in the packet so people are eating the entire packet thinking oh this is just 100 calories but it's like no, it's 100 calories per serve. So again, ignoring the front and ignoring what that marketing and those health halo claims are saying, turning it over and figuring it out for yourself. And I often say to people, you know, Bird Box, that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I say if you don't look at the back of the label, you're basically, it's like Bird Box. (laughs) You're like walking around with your eyes shut and you have no idea what's going on. Exactly. You know, honestly, there is nothing wrong with looking at calories for most people. So some people, of course, it's not going to serve them well because they have a history of, say, disordered eating. Mm -hmm. For me, as a dietitian, I spend most of my day looking at calories for both weight gain and weight loss. I don't necessarily talk to people about it. Nasogastric feeds, I do those Mm -hmm. quite often every week. I'm looking at the macronutrient distribution. I'm looking at the calories. It's very, very important, especially for weight gain. Calories are king for that too. Mm-hmm. So we often always speak about weight loss, but as a dietitian, I work a lot in helping people gain weight. Yeah. And so if someone's eating really, really low-calorie foods and not understanding what foods actually provide them with the most calories per gram, we know that fat provides the most calories per gram. Yeah. They will never gain weight because they're always going to be feeling full. So it's about literally like swapping the two sides, but acknowledging that 
we use it for both. It's not calories and not all about weight loss. They're also very, very, very important for weight gain. Exactly. And when you think about the advice we give to patients who are undernourished or malnourished, it's basically like eat more fats, add, you know, extra virgin olive oil, have some nuts where you can sprinkle everything with lots of nuts and seeds. And it's like blend things up because a smoothie, you get more calories. And when you drink it, you don't feel as full and eat some more processed foods, like not you know, terrible deep fried foods, but maybe eat some things like bliss balls and muesli bars, which are more processed because again, you don't feel as full and you're getting extra calories in. So then when you think about weight loss and then when you say to people, oh, this is the advice we give people for weight gain, they're like, oh, but I'm drinking smoothies and I'm eating high protein muesli bars. and Oh, oh, I have bliss balls every day because I thought they were good for me. Like, it's just like when you think about that advice and they can see where they're going wrong because they're eating, yeah, small amounts of food, which don't fill them up. And they're overeating those portion sizes or those serving sizes. And, you know, one of the biggest things I always say is stop drinking your calories for people with weight loss. And people hate hate that. They hate or don't tell people to do that. But I tell people – to drink calories for weight gain. So often one of my recommendations, especially working in aged care, is to not not waste time with water when they could be drinking something that provides them with calories. When their stomach space is so small, they have a zero appetite. So yeah, fruit juice in that setting, please, is king over water. And most people would probably flip out with that recommendation, but that's realistic. Yeah. We know that because we need to get calories into them yeah. to help them gain weight. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then lastly, I'd love to chat to you about the health star rating system that we have here in Australia. And I guess if listeners are listening from other parts of the world, I'm sure that you have your own um, health star rating system or something similar where you find on the front of the products, they're giving a rating or a number or a star um, in terms of trying to make them healthy. And I get so many people um, who just A, they don't understand how the system works and B, you're trying to find a perfect system for how many millions of Australians where every single person is different. So people need to understand this is a baseline to begin with and then you adapt it to your own individual circumstances. So how do you feel about the health star rating? Look, I've... I feel like it has good intentions. I agree. I agree. I think they've done the best they can for a very, yeah. very diverse population. Yeah, exa- and exactly. It has good intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the marketing behind it is a little bit misleading. So it says the more stars, the better. But it should say the more stars per similar product, the better. <laughs> that makes sense. Yes. And that's where people go wrong, isn't it? They're using the health star system and they're not comparing like to like. They're going, oh, but Milo has five stars, but extra virgin olive oil has two. I don't understand. But it's like, you've got to compare similar products. Exactly. And that goes with everything. We always compare uh, like for like. Has good intentions. Uh, The positives behind it, you always start with the positives. It is Mm -hmm. a good visual guide and it is quick to use. Mm -hmm. But we know that food manufacturers can manipulate it. Yes. So I guess it's about people acknowledging um, what um, it's actually rated on. So it's rated on energy, um, risk nutrients like saturated fats, sodium, and sugar. At the moment, it doesn't actually distinguish between added sugar, which I think it really needs. There should be some negative rating for added sugar, definitely. Mm -hmm. And it also looks at positive nutrients like fiber, uh, protein, um, the proportion of fruit and veg, nuts, legumes. Yeah. And then it gives it that, you know, score five out of five, um, five out of five or whatever. So five being the best. Mm-hmm. And now, one being poor. One being poor. Now, the, there's a couple of, I guess, cons, I could say. So 
first and foremost, the campaign's main message, the more stars, the better. Mm. We need a little mm. bit more um, clarity for the general population. Yeah. Something that I often see is people don't read things. They just don't. I see that from my post itself. People will, you know. They judge a book by its cover, don't they? Yeah. So it's about making the message clear. Mm-hmm. The other thing is it's voluntary. So people are paying big bucks yeah. to have those health stars on their products. And to get their products analysed by the government. Exactly. So something might not even have health stars on it and it might be like. And it's a great product. You know, it might be a, a forget five out of five, it might be 10 out of 10. So, <laughs> um, so you know, and companies are selective with what they put the stars on. So some of their products don't even have it. So, I mean, that tells you a lot. Mm. Um it's easy to manipulate. So yes. what I've been seeing a lot of is a lot of things like um, fibre being yeah. added to products. Yeah. But um, ultra-processed fibre, isn't it? Ultra-processed fibre, not yeah. the fibre you find yeah. in fruit and veggies 100%. or, you know, yeah. nuts and whole grains. Yeah, It's a muesli bar with 13 grams of fibre and you're like, whoa, like, that's going to give you some gut problems. <laughs> yeah, and um, or like protein, so like wheat protein, yeah. they're adding that to products. Yeah, soy that, protein. Uh, yeah, so of course bumping up the, the positive the benefits positive, of the system. Um, uh, aspects yeah. of it but it's trying to misleading to get yeah to get more stars yeah. yeah and again i think people are forgetting a just because it has five stars doesn't mean it's a healthy product and b you're only going to find a health star rating on a processed food you can't put a health star label on an apple you can't yeah. put a health star label on a chicken breast like you're only going to find it on food that's in a packet so again if you're eating fresh fruit and veggies as the majority of your diet you're doing a good thing but again just because it has a five star doesn't mean it's healthy because it means that that it's a better option than things in its range. Like take Milo, for mm-hmm. example. Milo has, what, four or five stars or something? I think now it's got 1.5 because they, again, they, they've removed the fact that it's added, you, you know, it was based on skim milk and Milo. Yes. So the protein bumped it up, the sugar, yeah. Yeah, But I think exactly. it, it used to have a, a higher rating than something like extra virgin olive oil. And people were in uproar, but it's like when you think about Milo compared to other chocolate flavored drinks, Milo may have a little bit less sugar. It may have a few more nutrients mm-hmm. or that sort of thing. But we're talking about Milo in its own category of chocolate powder. Not yep. We're not comparing Milo to an apple. We're not saying, okay, Milo's got two or three stars. Oh my God, I can't believe that got more stars and some yogurts only have one star. You've got to compare it to that category. It's like frozen pizzas. There are frozen pizzas or frozen potato chips that have three or four stars. I think some of the potato chips might even have four or five, not five stars, maybe four. And it's like, how can frozen potato chips have more stars than maybe a muesli bar or, or a yogurt or something? Because you're not yeah, comparing exactly. it to a similar category. And even so, you know, um, some products don't tick all of those um, nutrients that they look at. So, like, you're not going to find fiber in a yogurt. Exactly. You know, so there's there's little things in the health side. It's It's got good intentions, but... The biggest message is that you need to compare it to products in that field. Yeah. So I often say to people, it's not a standalone method, unfortunately. It's a good quick and grab. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you were going to buy a frozen pizza, like you went into the shops and you're like, I want pizza and chips. Okay. If your mind is made up and you're going to buy pizza and hot chips for dinner. Okay. Grab the one with the high star rating and the potato chips with the high star, because you can assume that the potato chips with the top stars has less saturated fat, less oils and less salt. Probably a better option because you were going to buy potato chips anyway. So, okay. Probably a slightly better option. And same with the pizza. If you were going to buy a frozen pizza, you'd want one with a higher star rating again, because it's a slightly 
slightly better option in that category. In that category. Are exactly. chips and pizza healthy options? No. So again, that's again what a lot of people get confused around yeah. the health star rating. They automatically think the more stars, it automatically makes it healthy. It doesn't. It just makes it a better choice within the category. Its own category. And same deal, same thing with the nutrient labels that we were talking about. You mentioned comparing similar labels to similar products, like only using the per 100 grams to compare, exactly. not the serving size. Exactly. And so unfortunately, reading the nutrition, you can't beat it. You cannot beat it. You cannot beat the more. ingredients list. Nothing trumps that. So, And it's there for every single product. So it's about just being um, taking the time. So if you want to make healthier choices, you need to take the time. And you don't have to do it every single time. It might just be a once-off. Or every time you go shopping over the next six months, you might pick just one product. And that way in six months' time, you've got the healthier products in the whole range. If you're always going to go buy tomato paste, look at the healthier types of tomato paste. If you're someone who loves tin tin soup, look at the healthier types of, of tin soup. You know, you'd want soup that's probably a little bit lower in calories, maybe a bit more protein and a little bit lower in sodium. They're probably the only real nutrients I'd focus on in in terms of something like tin yeah. soup. You know, I wouldn't be exactly. looking at the fiber in a tin soup or I wouldn't really care too much about the carbohydrates in a tin soup. I'd really, I guess, worry more about the overall energy density and how much sodium's in that soup. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I think people are getting a bit confused with their nutrients. And as you said, you know, we don't eat chocolate for the protein. You know, we eat other foods. You know, we might eat a Greek yogurt exactly. for its protein. We're not eating potato chips for the sugar. Um, you know, if we wanted sugar, we might go and get some natural fruit or some juice or something. So it's what is that food and what are you what are you aiming to get out of that food? Because if you try and compare every single nutrient on that nutrition label, you're gonna end up walking out of the shops confused as heck. Exactly. And just back to what you know, what you've said, um, the more labels you're reading, the less whole foods you're eating from like uh food groups. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. But honestly, it, yeah, it it's a, it's a it's a good intentions. Yeah, but it is it's it's an absolute minefield. And you guys, if you're not following um, Savina's Instagram page, you absolutely need to because she breaks it down into the easiest at home messages for you guys to really simply see that how many health halos are out there and how companies are so great at marketing. And even myself as a dietitian, sometimes I get sucked in and I pick it up and I'm like, oh, this looks really good. Oh, I'm super excited for this. Yep. Turn it over. I'm like, oh god, like it's just the marketing sucks you right in yeah I do it I look, I'm like oh wow look at this and then I'm, right, like, I'm gonna oh, buy this oh. I mean <laughs> and if you'd love it pick it up and put it in your trolley but if you're buying it because it, you think it's better put it put it back yeah. and normally the better options are you know four times the price as well so really weigh up how much better that's going to be for you if you know if you're someone who's saying they're really struggling on a budget and you're like you know I can't afford a gym membership or exercise equipment because I can't afford it well really are you buying these ultra processed foods that may have two grams more protein or two grams more fiber and spending all your money there when you could save a quite a lot of money and eat you know things like tinned um, you know rolled oats and tin you know chickpeas and that sort of thing which are only one or two dollars um, could your money be better spent um, without buying these ridiculously priced ultra processed foods? And, and you know, often people will say, you know, um, oh, you know, healthy eating is really expensive. If you actually look at it per kilo, and I'm not, you know, I'm not putting aside food security is a huge issue, and we're seeing it right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. with what's going on. But if we actually compare things per kilo, there is a big difference in price and the healthier options actually come out on top. Most of the time, yeah. yeah. And don't Most forget time, that yeah. canned foods and frozen vegetables, canned vegetables, frozen veggies are just as nutritious as fresh vegetables yeah. as well. And they're not ultra processed. Exactly. They are processed in a positive way. It gives us access to these foods. We can keep these foods in our pantry. They're becoming very, very handy at the moment mm-hmm. with what's going yeah. on. So they're not 
there's a degree of processing, which is a whole another topic. Yeah, but they are still like if we just had to put an entire label on them, they are still very, very healthy options for the majority of people. And the ingredients list will tell you that because that's all. There'll only be one thing in those packets or those cans. Exactly. Well, finally, I'd love to get your advice just for our listeners at home. If you had, I guess, if you navigating this whole confusing field of nutrition and marketing and label reading, what would be, um, I guess, your biggest takeaway message um, for our listeners at home? If they're super confused or they listen to this whole podcast and they're like, oh my goodness, I'm still just as confused or I still don't know what to do. What would be your top one to two takeaways for people to make better choices when they're out at the supermarkets and they're looking at nutrition labels? Yeah, so number one, health means something different to every single person. Mm -hmm. So you need to decide what that actually means for you as an individual. Mm -hmm. Don't get disheartened by the messages out there about not being aware of calories. It's not about calorie counting. It's about the awareness around calories because then we can make informed decisions for ourselves so I'm a big advocate behind calorie awareness Mm -hmm. it's about hey these things are marketed as the same thing but let's actually look at what they provide us with in terms of calories Mm -hmm. and we Mm -hmm. can make a better decision from that so it's distinguishing calorie counting from calorie awareness Um, and number three if you are spending heaps and heaps of time reading nutrition labels you need to probably take it back to basics and start with consuming foods that you don't need to read labels for don't have a packet yeah but it still comes down to understanding portions and you can there's heaps of um you know government uh, guidelines that even go through portions for things like nuts and things like that you know people say oh they are really high in calories of course they are they're meant to provide you with calories calories are not a bad thing Mm -hmm. but it's about making sure you but have a portion that serves you best. And you will work that out if you're working with a dietitian, so people that are working with you, Leanne, you will educate them about what um, what portion size works best for them. Going back to basics, taking it back to the start and picking foods that you don't need to get, that don't come with health halos, they come with their own health halos mm. without all the clever marketing behind that's, them. That's real food. Like you look at the humble bag of rolled oats, you know, a home brand bag of rolled oats, maybe yeah. ten for a you know, 500 grams or something, one ingredient in the rolled oats. I wouldn't call that a processed food despite it being in a packet. Same with natural Greek yogurt, one ingredient, you know, Greek yogurt or milk or whatever it is to make that Greek yogurt. I wouldn't call that a processed food. So when we talk about processed foods and ultra processed foods, we're really talking about foods with more than sort of three to five ingredients on that label. Things with lots of numbers, lots of colors, lots of ingredients that you can't even pronounce or ingredients that you don't even know what they are. Um, That's when you really need to look at the processing of food and what are you actually eating or what are you feeding to your children exactly and ask yourself what other foods would provide you with the same things you're looking for yeah 100 absolutely love it well thank you so much Davina, for coming on our podcast today thanks for having me and just quickly where can our listeners find you now i know your website um is sort of in the making so hopefully that'll be up soon but instagram do you have an email if they'd like to book in for a consultation yes. with you i know you're doing online consultations during the whole a coronavirus shutdown period, aren't you? So I, I am. So I'm doing that through my company. I'm not currently offering online consults through like the Savvy Dietitian, but you can um, freely um, email me. So my email is the Savvy Dietitian at gmail.com. And you can just click that on my um, Instagram page. And my Instagram page is uh, the Savvy Dietitian. 
um, D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N, so the, the Aussie way of spelling it. Um, and, you, you know, just send me a DM. But, yeah, you know, I'm always – people send me pictures of products all the time and I'm always happy to, um, yeah, respond. I, I always respond. Um, I'll be better at responding with DMs now. Didn't, didn't realize they get deleted. Yeah, I know. I'm pretty terrible at them as well. But going on from your um, how to spell dietitian, uh, it's so funny because I had someone who sent me a very like passive, passive aggressive sort of message a couple of months ago. And I was like, you can't even spell dietitian. You're supposed to be a dietitian. And I was like, Ex- yeah, educate excuse yourself. me. And I was like, in America, they spell it with, and I remember the very first thing in one of my nutrition undergrad lecturers, the lecturer stood up and she's like, the first thing you need to know if you're going to be a dietitian is how to spell it. In America, they have, uh, in America, they I have ticks in Australia we have tits and I was like what and it stuck with me for the rest of my life that where you know d-i-e-t-i-t so t-i-t in America it's tick t-i-c-i-a-n yes. and it's just like people just don't even realize that we spell dietitian differently throughout the world as well so Australians have tits just diet um U.S. have tits ticks I'm getting all tongue-tied now so little extra tip for our listeners at home if you ever think that you know Sabina and I can't spell dietitian it's because we do spell it differently in Australia than some of the other parts of the world. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and Thanks providing having us with me, so Leanne. much of your wisdom. And please, guys, go and check out Savina's Instagram at the Savvy Dietitian. You will, I promise you, spend hours scrolling through some of her infographics. Read her captions as well. If you think the infographics are powerful, she explains absolutely everything in her captions as well. And you will, you will learn so much purely just from giving her a follow and scrolling through her Instagram page as well. And thank you so much for Thanks, coming Leanne. on. We hope to have you on um, back again one day soon to chat a little bit more about um, marketing and label reading as well. Thanks, Leah. All right. We'll chat to you guys in the very next episode.